We will be reading today again from the book of Genesis. It will be Genesis chapter, the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So make yourselves an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, 
male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground man and animals, and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alice. I don't know if you know it or not, but if this is the word of the Lord, what we do when we read this together is the most important thing that happens on a Sunday morning. Do you believe that? I mean, what takes place right now when Alice reads that word, even more so than me commenting on it, is the reading of that word, the hearing of that story again from start to finish that maybe you haven't heard in a long time. Uh, this morning, uh, more than a few of you came up to me and said, we are, uh, we're talking about Noah today, right? What's going on outside? <laughs> Some of you are a little nervous. That would be pouring this morning. People are coming in drenched today as we are opening up. I can promise you God gave a promise. That'll never happen again. We'll get to that next week. Uh, but this morning, we come to probably, perhaps, one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible, uh, Noah and the Flood. It's a story that I would say on, it's two things. On the one hand, it's both beautiful, but it's also disturbing. It's a disturbing story. And I realized that through uh, my children some years back. Uh, one, on the one hand, it's beautiful. Any of you ever had some children recently? Maybe you had one of these that they uh, played with. Uh, the, our little Fisher Price, I think it was, Noah's Ark. It's a beautiful story. The story of Noah saving the animals as God brought them onto the ark and two by two 
It's great for selling uh, stuffed animals and toys. It's fantastic. It's cute. They all get inside and they float around the bathtub, our little boat. But it was when we read one of our children's storybook Bibles a few years later that the disturbing nature of it really hit home. Um, you, know, you probably can't see it in the picture necessarily, but uh, in that picture is a bunch of debris and fragments and, and actually people, if you can see it close. And one of our kids said, Daddy, look at the people floating in the water. It's disturbing. Story two. Beautiful and yet disturbing. God wiping away sinful humanity and the violent corruption of the world. Remember last Sunday, humanity had come to a place where, do you remember, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it grieved him. He was saddened and he decided to do something about it. So in one disturbing yet beautiful story, because humanity had corrupted and destroyed God's world with violence, God destroys the world with a catastrophic flood. But he delivers Noah, we're going to see, through grace, saving creation and humanity to begin again. We're looking at a story this morning that goes way back in time. Primeval's the word. It's way back in history. And what it does is it serves as a bridge from the past Way deep in Genesis of creation, it serves as a bridge up to the fathers, such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The story serves that purpose. It's a story that Abraham probably would have passed down, that Moses later would have heard and recorded. Because of that, this story won't answer some of the questions you have. It just won't. Like, when did this happen exactly? Or how many people died? Or how did it actually flood? Was it rain? Was it up from the ground? Was it, you know, what was it? And I'm actually, I'm not going to answer those questions today because that's not really what the story's about. It's actually not really about the flood itself. We think that, we hear that, we know the story, but it's not actually about that. This story is a contrast between the wicked and the righteous and judgment and salvation. It's a story of how life doesn't work, and how it works. That's what it's about. It's a story of decreation, you might say, and recreation with Noah becoming like another Adam, another world, a new chance to start over, a fresh start in a new world. And ultimately, it's a story of salvation. Here's our children's book again, back to the, the, the children's Bible. It's a simple line, but it says at the top there, but Noah and his family... And the animals in the boat were saved. It's a story of salvation, saving grace, really. In this story lies the key, really, to understanding, I would think, the entire Bible in our world today and actually what will become of our world. Jesus even tells us, as we'll see this morning, that their story is all of earth's story and all of us need an ark, every one of us. So we're going to look at three elements today of this story, three elements of this judgment, salvation story. So let's start by looking at the first one. Let's look at this one bright spot amongst a corrupt and violent world. One bright spot. We begin with Noah. 
He's the one bright spot in this world that is gone mad with sex, with violence, with sin. We got one bright spot. I went and saw uh, Star Wars, the new Star Wars this last week, and I really enjoyed it. But as I was watching it, I noticed that as the older characters, Luke and Leia and Han, showed up on the screen, I became more engaged with the movie I, I, when they reappeared on the screen. I, I, wasn't, I realized as I was watching it, and I have all throughout the new ones, I wasn't just as invested in the new characters, and they seemed kind of flat compared to like Luke and Leia and, and Han. Well, here in our story, Noah is kind of to stand out that way as, as a bright spot. He's portrayed like three-dimensionally, fully fleshed out character, while the rest of sinful humanity is kind of portrayed as a, a flat, all the same, dull background of corrupt, destructive violence. But Noah, Noah's full And through this description of Noah that began last week as favored by God, continues today, we're meant to see that life, this is the life. This is the life that's meant to be lived. Life with God through faith, we're calling it. This is the character, the story that stands out against all that backdrop of humanity. Noah living a life with God through faith. I would go so far to say that life without God is actually not life at all. It's not life at all. We've seen it from early in our foundation series that God meant for all humanity to live on this beautiful planet and image Him and and walk with Him in fellowship. That was our purpose. And here, think about it. One man out of all humanity this time is living like that. One man on the whole planet. He's described as walking with God. In the other words, righteous and blameless, he's described. But you notice, he's described as righteous, but I didn't say life with God through righteousness. It's life with God, I said, through faith. Noah's righteousness, when he's described this way as this man who stands out, his righteousness didn't come because he was perfect. In fact, he carries his sinful nature into the new world, as we're going to see next week, in a really big mistake he makes. You know, like Abraham, what do we see then? Noah believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Take a look at Hebrews. Hebrews helps us out here. By faith, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, I would say, his faith, this, his faith, and his acting upon it, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. His righteousness, his standing out, his bright and shining star was a righteousness that came to him through faith. Just like Abraham, justified by faith. And Noah, because of that faith, he lived out of that faith in a trusting relationship with God. Even when, you see the verse there? Even when the events were unforeseen. Even when he didn't, couldn't see the future. Even though he didn't know what tomorrow would hold. And that's exactly how God wanted it. 
Trust me at my word. Trust me at my word. He lived in obedience through faith. The one bright spot on that dark, dark planet. This is life. This is our calling. This is what God wants us to do, to faithfully trust and obey God and walk with Him daily, even if the events are unforeseen. It's hard, actually. Think about it. It's hard to be asked to stand out for God. And Noah was the only bright spot. When it's all dark and there's just one bright spot, it's easy to stand out. But it's hard, isn't it? What gives you the greatest fear when you hear Jesus' words, when he says that if you follow me, you'll be hated too? If you follow me, you'll be ridiculed as well. What kind of thoughts does that give you? What kind of fears maybe? Maybe it was an insecure moment over the holidays where someone questioned your faith, where you just wanted to speak up and you know you needed to and you wanted to, but you just couldn't. Noah stood out. Man, and how different he must have looked and the rest of the world looked, not only but from Noah, but their future as well, where their lives were headed. They, they couldn't be more stark and different. This Noah set against his black backdrop. Here's where they were headed. Life without God ultimately will bring judgment. We see the rest of humanity here against this, this three-dimensional Noah who's righteous, blameless, which means doesn't mean he was perfect either, just means in his community, he was a man that they could not uh, accuse. He, how he stood out, we see against him the rest of humanity. It's, it just is flat, as I said. Two-dimensional. The shallowness of evil. The banality of evil, some have called it. The commonness of their corruption their violence, and they had destroyed the earth. Look at verse 13 of chapter 6 with me. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. As God separated the waters, at creation, and filled the earth with a creation that was meant to live with him and love each other with God at the center, now this is not so. This is not the state of earth. And so God is going to wash it away by bringing the waters now back together. Remember, he separated them at creation, and now he's bringing the waters back together. God is going to basically reverse creation in judgment. That's why I called it a decreation. He's going to reverse what he'd already done when he separated the waters by bringing them back together. Life on earth, life on earth had become lived without reference to God at all. Jesus helps us see this. Jesus gives us a great insight into this passage where he says this. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, this is right where we're at now, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage 
until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. What's he saying there? He's saying that as it is in Noah's day, it's going to be exactly the same when he returns. Jesus is describing for us the end of, the end of all times, when he will come back to earth to judge. And Jesus says it'll be just like, just like, as it is in the days of Noah, so will it be. But did you notice something here? He doesn't describe it at all like Genesis does. No mention of violence or the corruption or destruction. What does he say? He says they were, they were, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were, they were just living life. What does Jesus want us to see? They are us. They are us. They be us. <laughs> They're us. Noah's day is like us. Living a flat, two-dimensional life. Only thinking about the stuff of earth, obsessed with food, career, money, stuff, toys, looks, vacations, reputations, just, just living life. Totally oblivious to the reality of God and the coming judgment. That's what Jesus wants us to see. They are us. Their day is our day. They were enjoying the things of the world, but what had they done? They'd kicked the giver of the good things out of the center, Jesus says. They had turned their back on God. And God won't stand for that. Actually, he can't. So what does he do? He decides to judge. Here's the bottom line. If you live life without God, the story of Noah and Jesus' words as well are here to tell you judgment is coming. There's no way around that. There's no way around what this story says and Jesus' application of it. If you live your life without God, it is guaranteed that judgment is coming to you. Now when I say that, judgment doesn't mean that God is cranky <laughs> or that he explodes like a, 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 a toddler temper tantrum or sometimes as adults, right? It does not sound what that means. Like he explodes in his wrath, just he can't control it. No, 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 that's not what that means. The flood shows us that he will not actually let humanity go on without him. He's so committed to his earth and to humanity and loves us so much that he's not indifferent to the world. He made it. He cares about it. He loves us and his creation and he's just and so therefore he will not let sin like some horrible cancer continue to destroy his planet. That's what his wrath and judgment is. It's not the explosion, explosiveness of a, you know, a, a, a toddler's temper tantrum. He's committed to the world. He's committed to goodness. He's committed to having that peaceful relationship that's described as shalom in the Bible that was totally lost at this time. He's committed to having that. Scott Sherman describes this situation really well. Take a look at his quote. Everything you enjoy that's good is from him. He's the creator of all things. He's the source. And to live as though he doesn't exist like they were in Noah's day, like many do in ours, we're living on borrowed capital. 
We're using the things He's made and given us. The flood shows us God is not willing to let shalom, that's that peace, be vandalized forever. Sin is vandalism of shalom, peace between God, and hell is a complete absence of it. Judgment is having everything of God's shalom removed because we didn't want the Lord who's the source of shalom. You see how that's different? It's not God just, hey, I'm just angry and I can't control myself and I'm going to zap him and wipe him out. No, it's God saying, I love this planet. I love this people I made. I will not let them destroy themselves. I, am, I will act because I want everyone to walk with me as Noah did. To live without God then means death. To live without God is death. But thank God for his gracious mercy. To this one bright spot, Noah, who believed and obeyed in the midst of this wicked generation and God's commitment to his promises that he decided to start over by saving Noah. So let's look at that now. It's our second emphasis this morning. God graciously offers deliverance to a new life with him. Even as he judges in a severe way in this story, he graciously offers deliverance to a new life with him. You know, from verse 13 to the end of chapter 6, we get instructions as to what Noah is to do and what God is going to do about all this evil on the earth. Here's what he says in verse 17. Behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God wants to have the peaceful, loving relationship back. And so he opens a door. He opens a door back for Noah. A voyage to the other side of judgment and a new life and a covenant promise we're going to look at next week. Even this tragic state of the, this, of the world, the tragic state of the world would not interrupt God's desire to bless humanity. And so he does something about it. And with that, God describes for Noah and his family the only safe place, the only safe place there will be on the planet. The only one. Not one of many, but the only safe place. Let's look at it. Building a bigger boat. Building a bigger boat. I couldn't, I, my, all, all in my mind this week, for some reason, kept thinking of the movie Jaws, movie references this morning. <laughs> when they see the shark for the first time and when the character goes back and goes, you're going to need a bigger boat for this. Well, if the narrative is short on details of time and scope and how many died, it gives us a lot of details about the boat. There's a ton of details about the boat. You know, it would probably look more like a, a flat box, actually, or like a coffin, really. Uh, in great intimacy, God shares with Noah. He gives him the rescue plans, uh, the blueprints for his escape pod. He gives it to him. And it was massive. Some of you have maybe been, I think a couple of people have been, I think the Nephis have been to uh, the, the museum, I guess it's called, in Kentucky, where they are building a replica, or they have built a replica of Noah's Ark. You'll see it popping up on the screen. It's a massive structure. This is actually a picture of it. Um, you probably heard about this replica. Take a look at the perspective. Where are the human beings? They're right down here. You see them down there? And a couple more... Look way up there in the top left for perspective on 
what this boat was like. It's probably about one and a half football fields in length to give you some idea. It's incredible. Nothing like this had ever been seen in the ancient world because nothing like this was ever, had ever been needed in the ancient world. And don't you think Noah's neighbors would have noticed? Is he standing out, you think? <laughs> the one bright spot? Not only did Noah stand out in his righteousness, he would have found favor with God, but now he's tasked with building a giant boat six days or so journey from the sea. Think about that. Where are you get the trailer for this thing? I mean, can't you hear the mockery? Listen to some dialogue from a great article by John Bloom. It's actually out there today if you want it. Some dialogue. Uh, two characters, Talmai and uh, Bakbukai. They're just old names. This is madness. Talmai was alarmed by the huge piles of logs around the vast clearing and all the hired men cutting and hauling them. How long will this boat be? Noah braced for a deluge of ridicule. Uh, 300 cubits. Unbelievable, Bakbukai laughed incredulously. 300? You were right, Talmai. He said, slapping his back. I said, no one's that stupid, but I stand corrected. Talmai shook his head in disbelief. Noah, you have lost your mind. No one could build a boat that big. You're an idiot, shouted Bakbukai. You're building a 300-cubit boat. Six days' journey from the sea. It won't need to be near the sea, Noah said. Oh, come on, Noah, said Talmai, exasperated. You've been pre preaching about this flood of divine judgment, but look around. You seriously believe all this is going to be underwater? I mean, it's easy to see, isn't it, how this could have been a conversation Noah had. God asked him to believe something and do something that looks absolutely ridiculous on the surface that will ultimately save him. A flood is going to come where it had never been before. Build a boat, Noah. But isn't this how the response has been all along to God's prophets, to his word, and to the gospel? This is what the whole first chapter of 1 Corinthians is about. You're going to look at it in your life groups this week. Look at verse 18 from chapter 1. For the word of the cross, it's foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God's ways have always seemed foolish to the world, to those God is, that is not, that he's not called to himself. If he's saving you, it's the best news you've ever heard. If not, why do you need a boat, Noah? What, what are you doing? But how does Noah respond? Look at verse 22. Noah did all this. He did all God commanded him. Four times in the passage, actually. His obedience is mentioned four times. And here is where God wants us to see what righteous obedience looks like in a follower of Jesus. Let's take a look at it. Resting on God's word in obedience and perseverance. We see it in Noah's response. The righteous person, the follower of God, bases everything, everything off of God's word and then lives out of that. 
walks and obeys in light of that, God's word. Noah obeys when it looks crazy. It looks crazy. Uh, Events unforeseen, Hebrews said about him. The events that were unforeseen. And for a long time. Do you know it took Noah about 100 years to build the ark? He was about 500 when he had his kids. 600 when he gets on the ark, verse 11 says, that's what walking with God looks like. As Eugene Peterson said in his book title, it was a book title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Isn't this what life is like if you think about it, though? There are times in your life, I know it because they're in mine. There are times in your life when everything about our senses, everything about your perception, everything about your understanding tells you it'd be wise and good and even permissible to disobey God to not trust him at his word, to walk the other way. Maybe it's you're single, lonely, wanting somebody to be with you, and you meet a great guy, but he doesn't trust Christ. Your wandering heart tells you, what could it matter? God wouldn't want me to be lonely. Maybe you're sitting with your computer all alone at night, Tempted to go back to familiar website again and your wandering heart tells you, what, what's, one, what's one little look going to do? Maybe you're afraid to forgive someone because you think they don't deserve it or it's just the same, the same thing's going to happen again. And you think, well, God understands if I hold on to this grudge. Maybe you're hearing my words today about judgment or sin and your heart is saying, no way. No way. The God in the sky who is one day going to hold everything accountable. Are you so sure? Following God at many times looks like building an ark in the desert. But don't you see salvation comes when we believe in the foolishness of the gospel? When we take God at his word, even if everyone else on earth contradicts it, challenges it, laughs at it. Because that was Noah's situation. Noah responded to Talmai in the dialogue article, I base my faith merely on what seems, not on what seems possible to me. I base my faith on what God says he will do. You have to believe God. Take God at his word. Even if most of it, life looks like walking with a dark curtain in front of you that only recedes just as you take the next step. Well, the flood comes, and with that comes God's final instructions and the closing of the door. So let's look at that. The finality of the closed door. That was it. Eight souls and all those animals were locked in and the rest of humanity was locked out. God shut the door. Look at verse 16 with me of chapter 7. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh went in as God commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Can you imagine Talmai and Bakbukai were thinking what they were thinking in that moment? Were they banging on the ark door screaming, let us in? 
Their thoughts must have been terror maybe, rage, but it wasn't because they didn't have an opportunity. Remember, it took Noah 100 years to build the ark, and he preached while he did it. Second Peter tells us that. It calls him a, a herald, a preacher of righteousness. So for 100 years, Noah pleaded with them, trust God, believe his promises, find life in him. God isn't sparing me because I'm better, but because I believe, Noah was saying. The door of the ark was open for 100 years. If the ark shows us anything, it shows that God is patient and slow to anger, so gracious, but at some point, the door will be shut. Which side of it will you be on? And just like in Noah's day, as Jesus said, decreation will begin and a new world will be made. Let's take a look at it. God decreates the world to begin life anew. Look at verse 11 with me of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heavens were open. It's intended to be a picture of decreation. In creation, the waters were spread apart. In decreation, they cover everything over, wiping away sinful humanity. And while for Noah, the safest place on earth to cover him from God's judgment was an ark, it was the only option. It was the only option. God is God. The only safe place for him was that ark. For us, though, the only safe place isn't an ark. It's a person. It's a person. The Apostle Peter equates this flood with the waters of baptism that symbolize our being brought into the church in Christ. Peter did this because he knew the only safe place for a person is Jesus. The only safe place for you is Jesus. Don't you see it? Jesus is the one who was truly righteous. (laughs) Jesus is the one who was truly blameless. Jesus is the one truly shining spot amongst humanity, and he plunged himself under the floodwaters of God's wrath for you. On the cross, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the shelter and the provision and the deliverer from the just punishment that your sin deserves. It's Jesus. Jesus is the promise of life with God, a new life, not on the other side of a flood, but on the other side of a grave. That's who he is. He walked out of that flood of judgment onto the dry ground after that tomb. That's what the whole Bible is about. And that, that is what Bethany Church is about. We too, in a sense, are an ark, helping people follow Jesus together as we live for him. And what does Jesus even say? Jesus even says, I'm the door. I'm the door in, actually. I'm the way in. You enter through me. Jesus entered the muddy mess of this world. What happens after a flood? The water's bad, but afterwards, the destruction, the mud, the the, the nastiness of sewage, all of that stuff. Jesus enters that. The muddy mess of this world and then gets dirty for you. 
He cannonballs into this flooded mess, and he pulls us up out of the muck and mire as he saves us like an ark. There's one who's come through the flood waters of judgment so that it doesn't matter what you've actually done today. Do you know that? And the doorway to Jesus is still open today. If you trust and believe, he is the rescue ark. You can know the acceptance, the security, the peace you long for can be yours. God is saying, Jesus is the open door. But someday, the door will be shut. Whether that's your own death, where God returns first and shuts the door, someday the door will be shut. You have to, if you hear anything from Noah's Ark today, it's that. But if you already know him, he's already pulled you out of the flood. He's already rescued you out. Not so you'll turn and run right back to the muck and messiness he pulled you out of. We're going to see that in a couple weeks. That's what they did. He starts creation anew. What do we get? Tower of Babel, we're going to see. That's what they did. Like Noah, if you've come in to find an ark in Jesus, he now asks you to live for him, to trust him, to run from the muck and mire. He wants us to taste that life of full obedience and, and walking with God that Noah had. It's not easy. And that's what walking with, life, walking with God looks like, that hundred years for Noah. It's not easy. It's smelly and messy on the ark, isn't it? Think about that. It is smelly and messy on the ark. And just like that, it can be smelly and messy in the church. <laughs> but that's what he's called us to. And you won't find Jesus anywhere else but in and through his people and his word. That's what the church is too. It's an ark pointing you to the true ark, but you have to come in. Because this is where Jesus is. As God was on the other side of that shut door with Noah, Jesus is in his church. And Jesus will use his church to bring others in. Let's pray.